Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. Here we are. We are back for more. It is episode 127. That is a, a special number in uh, in my career and in my life. And I'll get to that a little bit later in this Bleacher Blums podcast. But you are listening to Bleacher Blums. My name is Jeff Blum. I am a 14-year Major League veteran and current Astros color commentator. And on the other end, out there on the West Coast, we have got David Tuttle, a All-American pitcher for Santa Clara University, also was a member of Team USA and spent nine years playing minor league baseball. So we have seen the underbelly of baseball. We have seen the underbelly of sports, and we have also enjoyed becoming good friends uh, while talking on this podcast. And we appreciate everybody coming in. We want to remind all of you to make sure that you subscribe, rate, and review. Share this with your friends. Share this with your family because they are missing out if they are not listening like you are. And out there on the West Coast, we've got David Tuttle. Tuttle, how have we been in the last week, man? Good. I'm in uh, vacation mode. Blummer, thanks for the introduction. And uh, man, I, your your intros are getting better and better. It sounds like you're a TV color commentator somewhere, but uh, <laughs> you're you're sharp. I've never been introduced like that. It's perfect. Yeah, it's great. I'm in vacation mode. No, I was just going to ask you. Do, do you mind if you tell people where you are at on vacation? Oh no, not at all. Yeah, I know it's different when you're a uh, you know an ex big leaguer, but no, I'm up in uh, Santa Cruz, California. My background looks great. I know it's a little cabiny, but <laughs> we're right on the beach in Santa Cruz. And uh, I think I've said this before on the podcast, but the joke is, right, the coldest uh, winter I ever spent was a summer in San Francisco. Santa Cruz isn't much, much, uh, for, you know, is not too far from that, let's say. And uh, and it's overcast this morning, but uh, the weather's been fantastic. It's been about 75, 80 degrees uh, the first three days, burning off at about 10 o'clock. But, you know, it's about what is it? Nine right now. And it's a little overcast, but you know, vacation mode is vacation mode. You know, this plumber, you just got back from a few days away and it almost doesn't matter what the weather is like <laughs> sleep in a little bit, have a few more cocktails and, uh, enjoy, enjoy, uh, taking a, uh, I guess decompression or debrief from the real world. No, it is kind of nice. And you know, the background is too, you grew up in Northern California, so you still go up there and, and vacation basically in your backyard where you grew up as a youngster. Do the kids know a lot of the, do you tell them a lot of the history of you up there in Santa Cruz where, you know, this is where I knocked Mr. Johnson's mailbox <laughs> off with a, you know, a, a two by four as we went driving by, or, yeah. you know, this is where we dropped an M80 in somebody's front yard. So my mom's still... <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. I, they haven't. I they haven't heard all those stories yet. I keep telling them that the you know worst things will happen. Santa Cruz is a little bit different because we did vacation over here. But uh, yeah, I'm keeping some of that stuff secret. I guess you know if they listen <laughs> to the podcast, maybe they'll find out some of the details. But uh, you know, Santa Cruz is great. Uh, I think um, I don't know if I told you this before. This cabin that we stay at was built by my great grandfather in 1947. How about that? So I think aside from all the mischief and, you know, where I met some girls on a couple of summers, you know, things Ooh. like that. Um, you know, it's really nice to share the history, uh, of, of the cabin with them and understand, you know, why we come up here every year and enjoy ourselves. So, yeah, you know, I think information is disseminated on a need to know basis <laughs> and you, you, I'm sure you do the same, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, it, you'll find that the older the kids get, the more, you know, the greater the stories get and you just get a little more, 
you get a little more creative in how you tell them, omitting maybe some certain points of those stories that maybe you don't want to let out just yet because you don't want to give your kids any ideas. But uh, you're right. It seems to be vacation week here for the Bleacher Blums because I actually had a couple of days off from the broadcast and uh, I was able to go down to Cabo. Now, the story behind this is, is that my family went down on Father's Day, the 20th, and I didn't meet them until the 24th, 25th. And uh, when I say Cabo, it's it's in the vicinity of Cabo because we were actually staying at a house about a maybe 20, 30 minutes south of La Paz on the east coast of the Baja Peninsula. So it was land in Cabo and then drive an hour and a half through Mexico to get to the house that we were staying at. So, you know, one day of travel and then it was one day of see how many drinks you can get in to catch up with everybody else for the rest of the week and uh, and then get on a plane and come back. And what was brutal about that is that we get to Cabo after an hour and a half drive with the family and we're sitting in Cabo and we get the, you know, your flight has been delayed 30 minutes. Your flight has been delayed an hour. Okay, we're not going to leave for another four hours. So we sat in the Cabo airport and I think we were literally the last flight that left Cabo San Lucas uh, on that uh, Saturday to come back. But it was a lot of fun and it was very interesting. Uh, Jeff Bagwell sat in for me uh, on that broadcast. So make sure that you stay tuned in this podcast because I'll dig into that a little bit deeper. He, uh, he's got an interesting broadcast style to say the least, but uh, I learned how to play bocce ball in Cabo. Have you ever played bocce ball? Tuttle? Yeah, bocce ball is one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, bocce ball. Yeah, that's right. And it's uh you can play here on the beach we play. We get a little hard packed sand and play bocce ball. Yeah, it's great. So yeah, it's I'm nice. I'm glad you brought that up because I had never played it before in my life. And they came out, you know, you've got uh you know the four heavier green green balls, and then we had four red balls. They're you know, they're like yeah. softball size, but they're relatively heavy. And then you've got the marker, you know, the the target, I guess, that you're uh-huh. throwing out there. It looks like a and it's like ping a ping pong ball. Golf but- ball. Yeah, ping pong ball or a golf ball and you kind of fire it out there and like Tuttle said you just kind of launch you know and see who can get the closest and you start to count so being it my first time and my buddies that I was going down there to meet were talking mad trash I wiped them out and uh cleaned their clocks so I, I was the bocce ball champion and then I proceeded to go out there and just whoop them up in cornhole but it was a great vacation and I'm a huge fan of Mexico I've, I've been to you know, a lot of Mexico not every part of Mexico but I've been to enough of Mexico to know that I absolutely love it and my kids absolutely love it too because we've had the chance to go down to Cancun on the on the Yucatan Peninsula and go to Playa del Carmen, Tulum, uh, Mayacoba, and you know cruise the cenotes and things like that. But I was curious, Tuttle, if you had to give your your family an opportunity to choose where they would go on vacation, what is that one vacation spot that the Tuttle family would just hands down be like, "Yep, we're going here." That's a great question, and I appreciate you bringing it up. You know, Mexico has been a little. Uh, I mean, I've been to Mexico a couple different times at a couple couple different places, but you know, the publicity they get, you know, now is a little, especially taking a two hour drive from the airport, you know, has been a little <laughs> more challenging. So, uh, but I but I agree with you. I mean, Cabo is great. Um, I would say Hawaii. I think it would be a fight over the islands. Um, my wife tends to like Kauai a little more, uh, you know, out in the nature. Yeah, um, I back. tend to like Maui. <laughs> yeah, I like to be, I like to be in Maui near the mall, you know, like <laughs> what's wrong with me? <laughs> I mean, you know, but, uh, but you know, I would say Hawaii, if we all had a, a quick vote, um, you know, I think Hawaii would be just, it's an easy trip here from California, you know, only about a five hour jaunt and, uh, you know, tropical and, 
I don't know. I, I just, that would be my guess. Yeah. And we've had some great times similar to what you said. Um, we haven't, uh, we played a little bocce ball here. Uh, no cornhole. Uh, we do have a table cornhole. Have you seen those? The little ones? Oh, okay. No, I haven't. It's got the little bean bag, so you can put a long wood table and just play table cornhole. We've done that. So uh, we I haven't like declared it. a champion yet, but it's nice, Blummer. I think those guys would probably say that you were a couple days behind them on drinks, and that's why you won. So, I mean, there's always some sort of excuse, I'm sure. I'd like to hear what their thoughts were about you becoming the champion. Like, well, you you just got here. You're, you know. Yeah, you're too sober and too athletic, man. This that's messed up. We're we're yeah. I trust me. <laughs> the when logic you get off behind the pl- that, right? Like, <laughs> give me your money and shut up. Like, <laughs> exactly. I'm like, are you sure you only want to play ten bucks a game? Let's go. <laughs> but it's it, you know you're exactly. in good shape when you get off the plane and the and the, the, your phone is blown up with text from the people who are at the house going go through duty free pick up tequila. Yeah. You know that was that was probably the funniest thing. Uh, last podcast we talked about uh, Scherzer and the, the the issues that he had with Joe Girardi. The sticky stuff has been implemented, and uh, what's on tap is brought to you by St. Arnold. We're going to talk a little bit more about the sticky stuff and it's only because there was a hidden rule inside the 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 MLB rule book that I didn't even know about that got Hector Santiago who was the first to be busted for the sticky stuff on his glove but there's a catch to it. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Uh, I told you we're going to talk about Jeff Bagwell on this podcast about his broadcasting style, which was very unique. And you got a couple more things too, Tuttle, don't you? Yeah, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Euro Cup. I know that might turn some people off, but I've uh, been watching a little bit of soccer here on vacation. It's been great. And I wanted to dig into another Washington national player, uh, Kyle Schwarber, who's having a hell of a June, my friend. Dude is raking. And later on, I'm going to tell you why, since this is podcast number 127. I'm going to give you a little insight into why I did wear the number 27 when I played Major League Baseball. But uh, for the time being, I think we will uh, get into the bulk of our podcast. And when I was gone, there was a, you know, a lot of people didn't know that when I'm out last year, it was Lance Berkman who sat in for me. And I only miss maybe about six to nine games throughout the course of a season. And recently I was out for the Detroit uh, Tigers series. And Jeff Bagwell stepped in for me. And what was funny about this is I'm trying to figure out how do I, how do I unfold this because it was kind of interesting to hear you know what fans had to say, and then it was interesting to hear what my producer had to say because the I didn't have cell service where I was at in Mexico. We had kind of spotty Wi-Fi service that was in and out every once in a while. But purposely, when I first got into Mexico, I turned my phone off because I was like, okay, like like you said, Tuttle, you're just going to unplug, get off the grid, enjoy family, enjoy friends. And I did that. So the first night was great. Wake up the next morning and I'm like, okay, I want to I want to know how the Astros did. Did they win? You know, who did what? What was the score? All that kind of stuff. And my phone is going absolutely nuts when I turn it on. And it hooks on the Wi-Fi and I'm getting text messages, I'm getting Twitter alerts, I'm getting Instagram alerts. Everything's going crazy. And I find out that Jeff Bagwell has gone into complete roast mode on the broadcast. And he's like, finally got that California clown out of the booth, which I didn't appreciate, to be honest with you. But I, but at the same time, I'm going, okay, that's just baggy being baggy. And then he proceeds to you know, go into my board short choices, and he's going into other stuff. He's starting to get personal. And I'm going, man, this is really weird. But fans are kind of like, bummer, what'd you do to make Baggy so mad? Why'd you piss him off? But uh, you know, he, he proceeded to go on roast Biggio and roast some other guys and, and, and have some pretty colorful banter. And 
I texted him and I was like, bro, I go, you need to uh, call the game. (laughs) Fans are a little concerned about our relationship now because you're getting so you're getting into me so hard. So I was like, uh, you might want to focus on the game a little bit. And uh, they get rained out on Friday, play a doubleheader Saturday. So we had to broadcast a doubleheader. And then he, he did the game Sunday. And uh, in talking to my producer, when I got back, he, he you know, he kind of gave me the, you know, the first game was a little worrisome because when Baggy gets on, he gets a little loose. He starts to say some things and he starts to push the envelope a little bit. And uh, he told me that that first game, he was kind of had his finger on the button. Like, am I going to have to cut the broadcast? Am I going to have to cut his mic? And they moved on to the game, you know, the second and third game, the fourth game. And my producer goes, man, after that first game, he was awesome. And I was like, good. <laughs> I go, cause I told him, I go, bro, you need to talk about baseball. I go, everybody loves that You rag me constantly, which is wonderful. But at the same time, you've got to be able to go out there and broadcast that game. So I, you know, Tuttle, if you were listening to a ball game and I mean, when I'm in the booth with Baggy, it's great because we go back and forth. We do tell some stories and it's a little more, it's a little more friendly fodder than it is actual just, I'm going to toast this guy and, you know, talk about his sexuality and talk about his board short choices and, and thank God he's not here and call him a clown, you know, but when we're together, it's a little more subdued, but with, is that enjoyable to you or how do you feel about the locker room kind of creeping into the broadcast a little bit? I mean, it's fun for a bit, but I don't know if that would last throughout the course of a season. No, I, you know, I think I brought this up before. It's really interesting, but you have Blummer, Bagwell, uh, you know, you could get Biggio in there too and Berkman, but you know, the killer bees in the booth too. I mean, nobody can be a color guy unless they have the last name B and played for the Astros. And I just think that's, that's wild <laughs> that's in a good itself, point. right? Like there's nobody else. They can't bring in anybody else. No, you know, I think it's interesting, and you know this very well. It's one thing to say, hey, you know, my buddy Blummer, I do the podcast with, he's da 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 da. When, you know, if you're ragging somebody in the clubhouse, like they've got the opportunity to come back. And that's what you're saying in the booth, too. When you and Bagwell both do the broadcast together and you have TK in the middle or whomever in the middle, it's a nice little, like, hey, banter back and forth. And then if you push the envelope, then he can push the envelope back. But, you know, it's almost like, uh, you know, indefensible, right? If you're going to, if you're going to start, you know, you know, getting on somebody about how short their board shorts are, the fact that they're pink because you're from California or whatever, I didn't listen (laughs) to the broadcast, but I, you know, you have no chance to defend yourself. And so the way you defended yourself, like you said, is Twitter's blowing up is to text them and say, Hey dude, call the game. And I think that's, you know, that's what this podcast is for, right? We get to tell some stories, maybe some off color stuff, but you know, when you're doing the broadcast and somebody's listening you know, maybe they're not watching the TV. They want to hear what's going on. And there's certainly a subtle difference between radio broadcast and television, but uh, sometimes less is more. But I think, you know, there's definitely a fork in the road there. Let's make sure we're calling the game, getting the uh, pertinent information out there, and let's do it in an entertaining way. And I think that's what happens with you and TK over over time is you have this nice relationship. Um, He knows when you're on and you know when he's on and if he needs to give you more space, all that stuff, you play off each other. And I think what Bagwell was doing, obviously, was not, uh, you know, you didn't have a chance to defend yourself, but you certainly, you know, he wasn't there uh, to call the game. He was just, you know, firing missiles without any sort of repercussion. (laughs) Yeah, and it it would probably be way more interesting if I actually was in the booth to be able to fire back a little bit. But uh, he's always highly entertaining, and I think that's what his appeal is, is he is a little 
maybe off color sometimes, but he's brutally honest about what's going on. And I think he eventually, I listened to the game on Sunday and I thought he did a great job. Nice. Uh, you know, I, it's always good to get another perspective and Baggy definitely brings that to the, uh, to, to any call he's on and being an ex hall of famer, he's going to see the game differently. And I actually, you know, in listening to him and in listening to some of the feedback that was on social media, you know, I got a great question and it kind of goes to some of these local broadcasts, and it's something that I do not do. And I want everybody to know that I don't do it on purpose. And it's when I talk about the Astros, I don't say we. I don't say us. I don't say we need a good pitch here. I don't say we we need a big hit or I can't believe this is happening to us. You know, it's it's those guys, them, there, it's all theirs. And, you know, so I got the question is why don't I do that. And part of it is, you know, in learning how to, how to do broadcast, I've been told not to say things like that. Um, you know, I try not to call everybody a kid because everybody is a kid to me when they're on the field. And it's, and that's a true baseball term where you call everybody a kid. Uh, so I've tried to give those players a little bit more respect and call them, you know, full grown humans and they're going out there and playing hard. But the reason I don't use the we uh, and I use the them and the Astros and call them by something other than, you know, one of my teammates is because I had my time. Uh, you know, my time is over and I want to give these guys the due respect. I don't want to, you know, include myself in any of their successes. I want to put it all on them and let them enjoy that no matter what. So that's just kind of my thing. I think it's great for Baggy to go out there and do that because he, you know, he's one of the rare, you know, ball players these days that spent his entire career with an organization, still works within the organization. So I have no problem. Any, he's not doing it every day. You know, he does, you know, six or seven games a year. I feel I have no problem with him going, we, or us, or, you know, that kind of thing and be inclusive. Whereas on a daily basis, I just want to put all of the emphasis on those guys out there, the Astros doing their damage. But when you listen to broadcast, would that bother you? Does that bother you? Have you ever heard that? No, I think you nailed it. I mean, I, I I think of it more with my friends, man. It pisses me off, right? I'm a Giants fan where they're like, oh, we need to, but that, you know. That's we need- a great example because of the fans. The fans do feel like they're a part of the team and they say, man, we sucked last night or we did great. You know, that, explain yeah. that. No, no, I just, I, I mean, that's, we always say that, right? Fan is short for fanatic. And I think people do associate like that, but, and, and I think that's okay. And I actually think you nailed the point. You kind of asked and answered your own question. I think with somebody like Bagwell, it's unique because he played his whole t- his whole entire career with the Astros. He's employed by them, and he's in you know he's a Hall of Fame baseball player for them. So I think in his heart yep. and his mind, he's you know he's a lifer, right? He's the Astros organization is embedded in him. Dusty Baker, when he goes in the Hall of Fame after his managerial career, it'd be really hard for him to say we and us and they, right? He's managed the Reds and the Giants and the Astros and the like Dodgers. He played for the Dodgers, like you know when guys like that move around then it's really about them. So I do think there's some context there. And I think you answered that really well, but I, it, it, it hits my ear wrong back to the original, your point, um, like this kid or them, or, you know, I mean, yes, the Astros got you a world series ring when you were a broadcaster, but I do feel like as me personally listening, like this is their job. This is their thing because you can associate negatively and positively. And I think from your perspective and what I know of you and I've, I'm like this as well, I mean, you know, your time was your time. I love now when people come up to me and go, man, I remember when I watched you pitch that game. I had, I heard a story a couple, you know, it was great. It's really fun. But I think there's that humble, humble component to it, right? Like if, if you, somebody's going to tell a story about you and it's enjoyable and it, and it, 
remembers you fondly about something you did and an impact you had in their life, that's fantastic. But it's not really our place or your place to go, you know, like you're taking credit, right? So it works on the negative, like, oh, we sucked last night. But it could also be like, yeah, we were fantastic. We we hit really well with runners in scoring position. It's like, you know, you're not really doing anything. All you're doing is commenting on what's out there. And I think it kind of gives too much credit and associates you too much with the team. But again, I mean, you know, the Bagwell situation is slightly different, but putting myself in your shoes as a broadcaster, you know, we want to give those guys the credit. I mean, for me, it's a, this is a little bit of a longer answer, but for me, if I think about how hard I worked to kind of not get to the big leagues, right? Like, you know, I was in AAA for a couple of years and I was right on the cusp. Um, You know, these guys don't just walk into the big leagues, right? You have to remember, you know, every all these great stories of these guys getting called up is like, oh, yeah, their family's flying in. It's a fantastic experience for them. How could we take credit for that, right? Like, boy, what a journey it was for us to get to the big leagues. (laughs) I'm three for, we were three for four last night. Like, you know, if you start doing it to the individual, it's just, it kind of diminishes it on that side. And I think you get the point, but I, I, I like your take on it because you asked and answered. And I think Bagwell's a unique guy for one. I don't know him, but he's also in a unique situation where you're playing, you know, Tony Gwynn could say we for the Padres, right? As long as he was alive. So no, I think that that's a very good point. Excellent point. I'd like the fact that you even brought into the fact that, you know, that these guys have earned the right to get to the big league. So that it is theirs and you do want to put the ownership on them. And, you know, I, I do the same thing as a parent with my daughters who do spectacular things. I want to be able to put that on them and let them own that because as parents, I think we try to let them you know, learn by failures. So you've got to own the failure in order to really embrace and and enjoy the success that you do have. And that's partly what uh, goes into it. But these guys are great. Uh, I love having Jeff Bagwell on there and being able to have that show. Eventually, we'll be able to have a three-man booth where he gets in with uh, me and TK so we could have some of that little more competitive banter up there and have some of that go, uh, you know, that back and forth. But uh, we're going to move on in this podcast. I want everybody to stay tuned because we're going to talk a little soccer. We've got some Kyle Schwarber who's been tearing the cover off the baseball. And uh, we've got an issue with Hector Santiago being the first guy to get popped and suspended for using a quote-unquote sticky substance. I have a sneaky little rule in there that you're going to want to stay tuned for. But we've got a moment right here. We're going to take it and listen to a sponsor. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hey, and we're back. Uh, Thanks to our sponsor, uh, now here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Um, you're listening to the Bleacher Blums podcast, and we wanted to roll into the next topic of the day. And I know Blummer's going to like close his ears and turn off his video because it's uh, Euro Cup soccer. <laughs> I just have to say, 
maybe it's because my daughter's playing soccer these days, but um, I've been really into um, watching the Euro Cup. Uh, in 2004, my wife and I were out there before we had kids. And I remember being in London at like one in the afternoon and every single pub was just jammed full of, uh, of people in suits. And I mean, just, it was cra- cra- crazy. I mean, the whole country shut down to watch soccer games. So I'm not English, <laughs> I'm not German, I'm not Portuguese, but watching these games has been fantastic. And I will just say, I think it was Croatia and Spain. Spain was up three to one with like 10 minutes left in the game. Croatia scored two goals. They went into extra time and it ended up being five, three. If you're watching that game, it's like three to one. It's already, I mean, I never thought of soccer as like a sudden death kind of last minute game. They scored two goals in like seven minutes and uh, it was crazy. The next day, France, who won the World Cup uh, three years ago, four years ago, France is the one of the favorites <laughs> to be in the finals here in the Euro Cup. And they were up three to one on Switzerland in the 82nd minute. Switzerland scored again. Switzerland scored in the 90th minute. And then it's 3-3. One of the players on France hit the crossbar in the last minute of the game, and it didn't go in, and they went to shootouts, and Switzerland won in shootouts to knock uh, France out. And you just, I mean, we call baseball a game of inches, but I mean, I think the French would disagree. They'd be like, huh. I mean, it was two <laughs> inches away from going in, and, you know. So anyway, I just, I don't know if you want to call it the patriotism and the the uh, competitive nature of this, watching these countries get after it. And full disclosure, my wife is Czech and the Czechs beat a team that they weren't supposed to beat. I think they beat, uh, gosh, who did they beat? I don't even remember. But the Czechs are in it, so I'm watching the Czechs closely. So anyway, Blummer, that's all I got. I mean, it's a little bit of a rant, but uh, I mean, you you (laughs) have not watched soccer. Do you ever watch soccer? You know, Houston has a couple good soccer teams. I know that for a fact. The women have a good team there. Yeah. Yeah, Houston has the Dynamo and the Dash, and the Dash have been very good in recent history. Uh, you know what's interesting about soccer is that I—it's much like NBA, you know, NBA basketball in the playoffs. It's like the NHL playoffs. Oh, I will watch playoff type sports, and I feel like, you know, I—I'm not into it enough to know the players in soccer because I, you know, every once in a while on a Saturday morning, if there's nothing on, I'll turn on the Premier League or Bundesliga and see some of these guys. And what I love about, you know, the Euro Cup or the World Cup is that these guys. I mean, I don't know if you've looked at contracts, but these guys get paid a crap ton of money. <laughs> and when they play for, you know, when they're playing for Barcelona, they're playing for Man U and all of these, you know, these these organizations, they play hard, they play for big money. But I feel like once they put on their country's flag and they go running out there, you know, whether it be the blue shorts and the yellow top for Brazil or, you know, some of these other colors, there's another level that these guys get to. And I think they really enjoy not just representing their country, but going up against maybe some of their teammates, you know, from other countries where they can go out there and go, okay, remember all those times in practice where you burn me here? I get to do it on the main stage out in the Euro Cup and and make some of these plays. But uh, I really feel like when these guys step onto the pitch, Look at me. I know I know pitch. soccer language. When they step on You've been watching Ted Lasso. <laughs> when they step it. on the pitch. <laughs> exactly. I did my homework on HBO Max, dude. Uh, but uh, you know, when they step on the pitch, you can feel them kind of use the energy of uh, of the crowd behind them. And I think that's another thing that's really unique about soccer is that they really do kind of feed off, you know, the the fandom out there of them chanting and cheering 
and uh, imploring them to go out there and make some great plays. But I do believe that in these cup, you know, these one game championship series after they get after, a, you know, after you get out of pool play and you start to play these one on ones where it's one and done, you know, that's where you start to see some of this intensity. But I didn't realize some of these matches were so close and they were coming back late and really providing a lot of energy in and intrigue into some of these late games. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, it was really cool. I mean, like you said, that's why we like live sports. I mean, I could probably watch underwater basket weaving, but I've been watching soccer and it's like three to one with 10 minutes left. And you're like, ah, the game's pretty much over the way they're, you know, possessing the ball. And all of a sudden it's crazy. Um, Two things. One is the Czechs beat the Netherlands, which the Netherlands were one of the top four or five favorites. And that's pretty big for the Czech Republic. The other thing I was going to say is this year, uh, Christian Eriksen from the Danish team uh, from Denmark had a heart uh, heart attack on the field. And I, I'm sure that was a pretty national uh, story. He had a heart attack on the field. They saved his life, that whole deal. But he had a couple teammates Damn. on the Belgium team that had played with him at Tottenham. And the Belgian, Belgium team played right after. And uh, the guy scored the goal and then was like, so not only competitive against his teammates, but he scored a goal um, and then just, you know, honored his teammate or, you know, they scored against the Danes and then they just, they hushed the whole celebration and everything like that. So, wow. um, a couple of good things. I know the listeners will, um, you know, probably be more well-versed in some of the Euro cup goings on, but, uh, I've just been intrigued by it and I appreciate you, uh, providing some insight from the pitch there, Blummer, from stuff you're watching. I wanted to get into, you mentioned, uh, Hector Santiago. Um, you probably have some more insight on that than I did. We're back to the sticky substance. Now we're back into the sport we know and love, baseball. Um, he claimed it was just rosin, and I thought that was really interesting because we've been talking about how sunscreen and rosin, and I mean, this is all going to come full circle, in my opinion, where baseball is going to actually say, okay, this is the sticky substance this offseason. This is the one we approve, and you'll be able to use it because how is an umpire supposed to go out there and go, well, this isn't 100% rosin. I mean, they're going to have to bring a lab kit you know, like a, like a drug bust where they bring in the thing and they put it in, they shake it and they go, Oh yeah, it, it is. It's just rosin. You're good to go. So, I mean, I don't know how the umpire is supposed to determine what's allowed and what isn't. And you mentioned there's a subtle rule in there. So I'd be curious to know, I mean, Santiago was basically claiming that he wasn't using anything that wasn't allowed. Don't know if it's true. Don't know if it isn't true. But uh, what what say you? Yeah, this is going to blow your mind. It would be kind of funny if uh, they, you know, how they, when they go to replay, they bring out the headsets and they put on the headsets. If they had, you know, a TSA agent on site that had that, you know, the the paper where they wipe your hands and then they put it in the machine and it kicks back. Okay, you're not you're not bringing a bomb on. Yeah. You know, if they had the rosin detector and they or the the yeah. pine tar sticky stuff detector and they put it in the machine they're like yep he's using and then they pop them and yeah. put them away in handcuffs right there or bring out the canines <laughs> get some canine sniffing canine dogs dog, or like i said the little whatever reacts with this substance like the little shake <laughs> like uh, yep it looks like they were cheap yep. there's enough there he's gone <laughs> uh but uh so hector santiago gets checked and they check his glove and there's sticky stuff on it and i don't know if you saw the video of it but they actually they threw him out of the game they took his glove and they, it looked like a damn, you know, kitchen trash bag that they put it in, but they, they authentic, they sent it to the authenticator next to the field. He puts it in a trash bag, zip ties it, you know, puts the evidence tag on it and under lock and key, they send it to whatever lab they send it to. And here's the catch. Go ahead, Tuttle. Let me, I was just going to say MLB CSI coming to you this fall. Like we, they're bagging and tagging. Like we got a new TV show too. Like what the? Damn it, we just, need to get I can't on believe this. it. 
the authenticator. <laughs> we've done we've done CSI Las Vegas, CSI Los Angeles, CSI Miami, CSI MLB, folks. Here we go. There we go. Yeah, just get the get the acronym and and put CSI in front of it, dude, and let's roll. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's basically where we're at. Again, it's kind of funny that we're making a mockery because that's what it feels like. Um, but you mentioned Hector Santiago in his postgame quotes, and you're right, said it was just rosin and sweat. And Scott Service said the same thing. It was rosin and sweat. He was using the substance that is on the field and is approved by Major League Baseball. But there's a catch. The reason he got ejected is because they found or they felt that the sticky substance was on the glove. And in sending it to the lab, they found out there was rosin on the glove. That's the catch. There's a rule in Major League Baseball that says you can have that rosin on your on your hands, on your wrist, but you cannot have it on your glove. And that's why he got suspended. Is that some kind of bullshit right there? I mean, sneaking that rule in there and they're sticking to that rule, pardon the pun again, sticking to that rule that it was on his glove. So instead of him going to the rosin every pitch, he he had it and just tapped his glove with the rosin and it became sticky because he kept going to it and trying to rub it and get a grip on the ball. And that's what got him popped. And the reason I bring that up is because I had no idea about that rule. And the other day I'm watching Zach Granke pitch for the Houston Astros. And before he went to the rosin bag, I watched him set his glove take off his glove and set it on the pitching rubber. And then he walked to the back of the mound and put the rosin on his hands and kind of rubbed his hands together, got it tacky for himself, and then put his glove on. And I couldn't believe it. Is that is that not unbelievable? They're taking it to that extent and sticking to that rule? Uh, it is. It reminds me of what we see uh, when politics roll into town with uh, propositions. They're always like, well, Proposition 41 is going to be this. And then you realize, like, if you're kind of reading all the, uh, you know, the jargon and all the addendums on it, is that it's typically like one little, like, issue for the prop and they back end all the other things that they want to tie into this proposition for, yeah. you know, for the, for the legal code. And it sounds like uh, MLB has got some lawyers working with it as well, because I mean, so you can have rosin on the mound and you can have it on your hand, but you can't have it on your glove. I mean, all right. So, I mean, what, what are we doing? We say that every podcast. What are we doing? Is that not ticky tack? Yeah. Oh. Oh, 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 nice. How many of those can we do? <laughs> Ticky tack. He got oh, no. himself Seriously. into a sticky situation, Blummer. Oh, there you go. Ooh. Maybe, I mean, things are coming unglued. <laughs> <laughs> or glued. Oh, man. Things are coming Oh, jeez. Yeah, they really, yeah. yeah, who knows, man. But uh, that that's just to explain that situation. I think it's obnoxious. And uh, we had a situation uh, the other night in an Astros game, too, where the Astros were getting blown out. And uh, position player, Rebel Garcia, goes out to pitch in the top of the ninth inning. And guess what? When ha- what happened when he came off the mound? They checked him. They checked him. They checked the position player. And you could just see that he had the biggest smile on his face. He gave up four home runs, two home runs in that inning. And he's just kind of, you know, it became laughable because the game is so long and it was such a blowout. And he just, he's just sheepishly with a grin on his face going, here you go. You can check my glove and hat. You know, it was just kind of funny. Yeah. The time I was checked is what he's going to say. You know, I think that I didn't watch that game. I did see the highlights or the, uh, I guess the box score, but man, really impressive to, I think it, it's a testament to how good big league hitters are. 
just, you know, bringing a guy throwing 85 or 88, but he's a little straight and these guys peppered him. And it's like, it's not that easy to hit, right? It's almost like four home runs. Like, can't you just hit one off the wall or hit one right at somebody? <laughs> nope. Apparently not. Like, so they'll probably bring in somebody else next time, but I mean, oh, they teed off. Yeah. It's amazing though. Right. I mean, like when mm-hmm. you didn't salivate, I don't think you salivated when a, this is my always thing, right? This is the double-edged sword. When a pitcher came, a uh, position player came in a pitch and you were coming up, you're like, Oh no, because there's only, it's like the, it's like my base running thing. There's only one good outcome. This is forget true <laughs> outcomes. Like you better get a hit or a walk. Because if you strike out or pop out, then you get a lot of grief and that that position player has something over you, right? It's like if you go into mm-hmm. pinch run, you better just follow the, you know, follow the leader on the bases. Cause if you get picked off or, you know, make a base running blunder, then everybody remembers it. I don't know. It just four home runs off a position player. That's tipped my cap to the hitters. They were on fire. Yeah, they were mashing him. It was it was really interesting to watch, but uh yeah, it, there's nothing more uncomfortable as a position player to face a position player. And I think I only had to do it once. And I think it was against Aaron Miles, uh, second baseman for the St. Louis Cardinals. And uh, fortunately, I, f- I found a hole. It was just a base hit. But at the same time, it was whack. Whew. Whew. Okay, I don't, <laughs> I don't have to listen to it when I get to the, the dugout. That's right. More importantly, did you ever come in as a position player to pitch? Yeah, no, I, I never had the chance. I, I was never that guy. You know, I, I, Sean Burroughs did it a couple times with the, the San Diego Padres when I was there, but I was never asked to go out there. And I had a pretty good arm too, but no, nobody ever really asked me to go out there, fortunately. Well, how come, I would think a utility guy, I mean, depending on your day and rotation, mm-hmm. like whether you're playing short or third, like why, like how do, I would just be curious to how the manager, like I never, I got asked to pinch bunt before. So that was pretty cool. I mean, <laughs> that meant I was the best bunting <laughs> pitcher in AAA. No, I don't know. But I mean, how does a manager, that'd be a great thing to ask a manager. Like, how do they go, hmm, we've got a 25-man roster. Blummer's down there. No, Blummer's hiding behind the water cooler. That, I've seen that guy throw a little <laughs> exactly. bit. Like, how does, or is it the embarrassment factor? Like, oh, that guy just got called up. We're going to put him out there. Like, what? how does a manager like Dusty Baker even choose that? Do you have any insight into that? I have no idea. I have no idea. That's actually, that's a really good question because <laughs> there, there are a handful of guys where you just kind of go, yeah, you know what? That guy would be the position player that pitches. I don't know what what signifies the, the the fact that he would be, but I just thought it was great. Cause you know, I would probably have done it like rebel Garcia. He, he threw it like he was throwing it from shortstop, you know, no real big arm swing, yeah, just kind of arm. short armed it, you know, short stride and just started to throw darts in there. And, uh, unfortunately got teed off on, but, uh, well, that's cause that's more like BP. I think the yeah. short arm is like, I BP. think that's what it it's turned into from the ear from the ear guys were just like, whack, like they liked it. But, you know, if I were, I have a, I have some insight for you. If I'm Joe Madden, I'm bringing that Otani guy in to pitch that position player. I'm going to throw <laughs> that guy on the mound. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, gee, I wonder who right? we could bring in right here. I'll bring in the guy that throws yeah, shoot, 100. Let's see. How about, oh yeah, you, you, you out there in right field, we're going to bring you in. So there you go. Yeah. That's I've fun. heard you got a pretty good arm, but speaking of teeing off, you know, you, you had, uh, you, you've got something you want to talk about. And I think it's great that you chose this being a pitcher, but, uh, uh, somebody that's been teeing off has been Kyle Schwarber, man. He's got what f- he's got 15 home runs in 17 games or something ridiculous in the month of June. So he let off last night off Rich Hill with a home run. So he's 16 of 18 now. And Rich Hill does Ooh. not give up home runs. I think Rich Hill doesn't face a lot of lefties. I know he's older. And that's left on left. That's right. So Rich Hill has a 143 batting average against from a left-handed uh, from left-handed 
uh, batters, excuse me. He doesn't face a lot of guys because his batting average against is so low. Everybody turns them around right-handed. We're just going to put all right-handers in the lineup. So it's one of those weird things. But Schwarber's been on fire. He led off the game last night with a home run off Rich Hill, 84-mile-an-hour fastball, first pitch, sniped him. Um, I read the statistic, <laughs> Schwarber swings at the first pitch like 32% of the time, which is pretty unique. Um, that's a pretty high percentage. I mean, it's, you know, a third of the time no. he's getting after it. He jumped on it and hit a ball 440 feet, like 434. So, but I bring him up in a little bit, hopefully a unique perspective is not, Hey, this guy's on fire. And you know, it's the best thing we've seen from a hitter perspective and home runs since, uh, Sammy Sosa and Barry Bonds have both done it. Um, I mean the company he's in, they were saying like, hitting seven home runs in a week in June or something like that. It hasn't been done since like Carl Yastrzemski um, and, Damn. you know, uh, leadoff home runs. He's in Alfonso Soriano category. Of course, Alfonso Soriano bad leadoff his whole career. So, um, you know, Ricky Henderson, guys like that. But I mean, you know, you just start seeing these names stack up. But my my question to you and my perspective is that, you know, then after this game, he's 16 home runs in 18 games. I think he hit like, 15 and 10 games or something like that, 15 home runs and 11 games, something crazy. So when you take that span, he didn't hit his first home run till June 10th or 13th. So you start paring that down. It's not, yeah, it's the month wow. of June. He's got 16 home runs, but he did, you know, he skipped the Damn. first 10 days. So all kinds of crazy statistics, but he's on fire. And we have talked about superstition on this podcast. We've talked about streaks but, you know, I guess it's like facing the fire. If you miss a field goal or kick a game-winning field goal, you got to go into the press room and answer questions. And I listened to Schwarber's press conference last night, or I, I saw some snippets, and it's just not a comfortable situation to be in. And I don't know if you're ever in a situation like that, but it's like, gosh, what are you seeing out there, Schwarber? Like, do you think you can keep this going? Like, I mean, it isn't even about superstition. You just don't want to talk about it. And so I thought he handled it pretty well. And he said something like, you know, I'm just trying to be dumb up there, you know, see ball, hit ball, which is the right answer. Um, he did a lot of team stuff, the bull Durham, like, Hey, you know, winning's better than losing. You know, it's just a team <laughs> game. We're on fire right now. We got out of the cellar, you know, we're, we're playing well, we're pitching well. Like he just went to all the standard answers but I think part of that goes back to our initial comment about the we and the us and the them, right? About Bagwell is like, you know, it's always nice to go there, right? Because you don't want to take credit for your team's success, but also you just want to keep this thing going. And it's really hard to focus on it and talk about it and hear about it, but also keep it loose and easy. And I just wanted to know if you had some personal experience with that. I know I do. And then what, how you would handle that situation. Blummer, you've hit 17 home runs in 19 games. What are you doing? <laughs> Well, I've never had to answer that question, but <laughs> I would like to imagine it. Um, but you know, what's great about it is there's there's a certain – I think ball players are different when they have to answer questions like this because there is a certain humility to the game of baseball where you realize how hard it actually is. And when you do get in one of these good you know, zones or streaks or whatever you're on where you're seeing the ball and the game is slowed down and you start to crush and you start to feel it, you're like – I'm just going to ride this wave as long as I possibly can. And like Schwarber said, you get dumb. You don't try and overanalyze. You don't try and figure out what's working well. You just go, thank you for putting me here. And I'm going to do the, I'm just going to use it as long as I possibly can. So I think that's where that humility comes in when you start to see the interviews and they start to talk about the team. I'm just glad I'm helping the team. The, the team's going out there and winning. You know, the guys are supporting me behind it. Oh, I'm getting some good pitches. I'm getting lucky, whatever it may be. But they really don't want to, there's two reasons they don't want to talk about it. 
uh, in the sense of, you know, what are you doing differently? How are you doing it? They answer with, you know, Hey, I'm just up there, you know, I'm in a good place. I'm trying to help the team. And then the other one is you don't want to screw it up. You don't want to take it for granted and say, Oh yeah, you know what? I did this. All of a sudden this guy sucks and he's throwing me beat balls and you know, pitchers can't get me <laughs> out right now because what happens after that, you go oh for your next 35. And then we're talking about why you're in this tailspin. So I think there, it's a little bit of respect for the game and the humility, understanding how hard the game is, but it's kind of funny when when you do ask a guy about how well he's going, the answers are usually like, yeah, things are good. I'm seeing the ball good. It's simple. It's cliche. But when the guy is, like I said, over 35 and you go, what's going on? I could, guys could probably break down their swing in 35 minutes talking about that going, well, I'm not doing this. My foot's not down on time. My head's moving. I can't see the pitch. The release point is baffling me. That guy's deceptive. He's got some of the nastiest yeah. stuff I've ever seen. And they go on for a half an hour and you're going, dang, this guy, you know, he's really breaking this down. But if you ask how, how he's doing so well, he goes, I'm just seeing the ball and hitting the ball. Yeah. And it, it is a little, I don't know if it's because we don't believe in jinx or superstition, but you're right. I always, I had a pitching coach say this to me because, you know, you should spend as much time breaking down your, uh, your faults as you do your successes. And I thought that that was always insightful and I've always been fairly even keel. Mm -hmm. And I know, like you said, you don't want to overthink it, but you should know, and maybe he does know, and I'm sure he does. I mean, some of it's luck, but you got to know oh, internally. Yeah. Yeah. You got to know what's going well when it's going well, because that's going to help you pull out of some, you know, we all know this guy throws nine scoreless innings and he's like runs out to the bar and he's like shots of tequila. Like, Woo, that was the greatest game I ever threw. And then he gives up four runs and three innings next time. And he beats himself up. He tears his hat up and he beat, you know, he, it's like, look, we, there's somewhere in between is really how you're going to find success in this game. Right. Like, and we do, we've seen guys, I've played with guys like that, that really enjoyed the success and then just couldn't figure it out when it was going haywire. But I know at this big league level, and uh, I mean, I kind of reinforced the point that I, I know Schwarber's handling it correctly, but you know, when it does end, you know, when he rolls into July and something switches, hopefully he has the, you know, the Rolodex and the wherewithal to go, all right, when I was going well, this is, you know, these are the things that are happening. And, yeah, you know, hate to keep using Bull Durham as the, the, like the lexicon for all this baseball stuff, but it's like, look, you know, one, you know, one duck fart, one scene, you know, ground ball with eyes, <laughs> one Texas leaguer, like, you know, that's the stuff you need to help snap you out of it. But, uh, but it's, a, you know, it's a, it's a streak that's, you know, pretty formidable. And it'll be interesting to see how he finishes up the month here in the last few days, but man, 16 home runs and 18 games is pretty, uh, pretty phenomenal. No, he, he's on a great ride and just go ahead and ride that thing out. But it's impressive. Usually guys go out there and, you know, have maybe, you know, multi-hit games or have, you know, a hitting streak of 16, 17 games. But it's one thing to go out there and hit bombs, especially in this That's day right. and age where pitchers are so good. And it kind of coincides with them taking away the sticky stuff. Yeah, well, I said the batting averages they were doing the first. The batting averages prior to the sticky stuff going away was like 239, and now it's like 227. So, you know, I mean, I don't know if this – right? I mean, maybe it's – the small. The sample size may be too small. It's too small, but pitchers are too good, man. Um, well, I we've talked about the shift. There's so many other things. But uh, speaking of riding the wave, let's ride the wave into uh, Blum's Blast. And we've talked about it a little bit before, but I think you're going to get deeper into it today is – Mr. Blum wore the same number, except for if you move this way, when he got called up to the Expos, there you go. He's glorious number 50. But uh, yeah. Mr. Blum, you wore number 27, and that was a common theme in your career, and you were going to shed some insight into that. 
Yeah, this being podcast number 127 for us, and we are rolling along riding that wave that Tuttle is talking about. Uh, you know, I've talked about it a little bit, uh, maybe get a little more into the reason why I wear number 27, but just going into the Wayback Machine, I wore number 11 when I was in Little League and Pony League and through college. And the reason for that was uh, growing up here in Southern California, for whatever reason, I really latched on to uh, third baseman for the uh, California Angels at the time, Doug DeSensei. And I, I liked the closed off stance that he had. I thought he played a great third base. And I just kind of went, man, number 11 looks good on the back of that guy's jersey. And I go, I want to, I want that same number. I want to be able to be a, you know, the next Doug DeSensei, I guess, so to speak. And just kind of jumped on the, the 11 train and rode it all the way through college. And of course, in the minor leagues, you don't have an opportunity to pick your number. You're just hoping for a <laughs> uniform that fits. And, and being, uh -huh. you know, a little bit larger and taller, I, I always wore like number 45 in, in the minor <laughs> leagues just because of the jersey was the one that would fit me. Oh, and uh, I get to the big leagues and my rookie year, my number, like Tuttle is saying, is number 50. And I get uh, to my second season and the Astros, not the Astros, my gosh, the Expos traded away Shane Andrews and Shane Andrews had number 11. So for the two years of... Uh, 2000 and 2001, I wore number 11 for the Montreal Expos. Uh, I then get traded to the Houston Astros and they gave me number six. And that was the number of the guy I got traded for, Chris Truby. And I, I hated single digit numbers. I just felt <laughs> like my back was naked with one number on the back of it. I needed two <laughs> numbers. And uh, being the new guy in spring training, I just kind of bit the bullet and was kind of waiting to see how things worked out because we hadn't broken camp yet. I didn't know who was going to be on the team, who wasn't going to be on the team. But I did know that Brad Osmus had number 11 and Brad was an all-star uh, everyday catcher. So I knew I couldn't afford to buy that thing off him. And it just so happened that that was the spring training that CJ Nikowski got released by the Houston Astros. And he was wearing number 27 in camp. And I went, okay. That's the number. And uh, so we break camp and I go into Dennis Laborio, the equipment manager, and I said, uh, I want number 27. I don't want number six anymore. And he went, okay, done deal. We show up opening day and I have number 27 with the Houston Astros. And from 2002 until the end of my career, I wore number 27. And a lot of the reason for that is, and this, again, being fitting that it's 127 is our podcast number, I was married on January 27th. So 127 of 01, I was married. So the 27 was the day I got married. But at the same time, in the back of my head, I'm going 27. Who wears 27? That's a pretty good ball player at the time. And it was Vlad Guerrero. And I'm a huge Vlad Guerrero fan. And here, here's how my brain worked. I went, well, he wears number 27. If I wear 27, will I be as good as Vladimir Guerrero? And it didn't work out, but it w really worked out in the sense that it became a number that kind of <laughs> identified itself with me. And, uh, it, you know, it represented uh, a good day in my life. And it also represented one of my favorite players when I was out there playing in Vlad Guerrero. So that was the reason that I got to wear 27. And it was kind of cool. I, I played for six different teams and every team I played for, they opened up the opportunity for me to wear number 27. So when I got traded to Houston, obviously that's where it started. But when I got traded to Tampa Bay, they gave me number 27. I get released and I signed with the Padres. I show up in spring training and they gave me number 27. Uh, I got traded to the Chicago White Sox in the middle of a season. They gave me number 27. I signed with the Arizona Diamondbacks. They gave me number 27. So I thought it was really, really kind of, uh, of cool and 
you know, I really respected the fact that they gave me the opportunity to continue to wear that number. But that's maybe a little more than you cared to know, but that is everything you need to know about the number 27 in my career. No, I think it's fantastic. And I think, you know, it speaks to being a uh, like a veteran. That helps to get your number. But I also think that yep. maybe nobody likes the number 27 except for you. And, and you would just cruise <laughs> in and get off <laughs> <laughs> like I don't want no, this I'm junk kidding. number. Give it to that guy. Yeah, I don't want this number. Or, or guys were intimidated, which you weren't. Like, hey, I don't know where twenty-seven. They're going to think I'm going to play like Vlad Guerrero, and that's a really that bar is really set high. I don't know <laughs> if I can do it. You actually aspired to do it, so. But it, that's cool. I appreciate you providing the insight. Like as a pitcher, like you said, through the minor leagues, we didn't have a choice. It was like <laughs> all right, all. a tall, skinny guy. Like I wore this and that, and um, you know, we we keep talking about these guys we cross paths with. But 1994, I went to Double A with uh, the Cincinnati Reds, Chattanooga, and the number nine pick in the draft that year was CJ Nikowski for the Cincinnati Reds, and CJ came right to Chattanooga after the draft. And, uh, I don't know if he wore number 27. I don't know if that was important to him in double a, but, uh, but just another commonality there. CJ had just started his career. And when he ended his career with Houston, there you go, you were there to snatch up the number, but, uh, but, uh, you know, we have CJ Nikowski to thank. And, uh, of course, another common thread in our little friendship and career is these guys that we cross paths with. Well, hold on. That, that's just kind of interesting. We should actually have maybe our producer, Mark, come up with some names in baseball past and try and figure out how we are both connected because we kind of came up in that same era. I mean, I had no idea you were a teammate with CJ Nikowski until you tell these stories, but it would be kind of funny just to play that, you know, six degrees of David Tuttle and see if it kind of reaches back to uh, some of the guys that we, we both played with. There'd probably be, I would say it probably at least if we were able to remember some of the names, at least a hundred guys that we were either oh, I'm sure. played against or shared locker rooms with, man, it would be crazy. Well, I'm thinking going, go back to Cal even, right? So Cal has like, Mike Harrison was the fifth round pick the year yeah, I was drafted dude. by the Reds and I was a sixth round pick. And then, you know, so you just start w- there, right? You just start working your way there. And <laughs> those are guys we played with. So anyway, it's a, it's a, I think that'd be a fun game. It's the Kevin Bacon game, right? Six degrees of the Bleacher yeah. Blums podcast. That's a, for future, for future fodder, we can work on that. But uh, that's all I got, Blummer. I mean, that's Santa Cruz Vacation Podcast. Uh, I think we did fairly well, my man. We did. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for everybody for tuning in to this episode of Bleacher Blums. We obviously implore you to go to bluewirepods.com and check out some of the other podcasts on the Blue Wire Network that we are fortunate enough to be a part of. Everybody that is a fan of Bleacher Blums has gone to bleacherblums.com and checked out our website. Uh, send us questions, send us mailbag stuff, and uh you know, make sure that you follow us on Twitter at Real David Tuttle and at Blummer27 because some of these questions that we do poll, like we did last episode when our producer read off some of those questions, come via Twitter. So make sure you look for ble- at Bleacher Blums on both Instagram and on Twitter to keep on keep the updates coming. Uh, please, please go out there and ask your friends and family and anybody you know to subscribe to Bleacher Blums. Make sure you rate review. That helps us, you know, build that brand a little bit more and reach a couple more uh, listeners out there and really uh, encourages us and gives us the opportunity to give you a better podcast. But as we do at the end of every podcast, we always appreciate and acknowledge the military that uh, are serving currently and have served before. Obviously, the veterans doing a great job. We appreciate all of you for the, the standing in the harm's way and protecting our borders and making sure that we're safe here at home and allowing us the freedom to speak our minds here on the Bleacher Blums podcast. And of course, all of the first responders 
responders out there protecting us and running to our to our aid when needed. And of course, all the frontline and essential essential workers during this pandemic time as we get back to normal. But uh, Tuttle, I think that's going to wrap it up. I'm going to let you take us home. All right. Hey, uh, no other time to be more thankful than while I'm on vacation, right? You think about freedom and freedom from work and freedom from like daily activities, but man, just the freedom to be sitting here with my feet up, uh, enjoying the, uh, the beautiful waves of the Pacific ocean. Uh, again, we're super grateful and thankful and, uh, folks, I know I'm on vacation. Blummer just got back, but it doesn't matter what you're doing. We encourage you to get after it and believe it.